Hello and welcome to this edition of V Radio. If this is your first time listening to V Radio, please visit my website, v or v radio.org. Uh, there you can find archives of more shows like this one, including interviews with scientists, activists, politicians, the few good ones, uh, various documentary filmmakers, and other just basically great. Uh, content as far as exploring activism here in the United States and in the world. Uh, today's show uh, is actually pre-recorded segments from various interviews that I have taken during the Occupy Midwest conference that was being held, held here in Detroit, Michigan uh, with Occupy Detroit. I'm hoping to get a lot of content from different occupies that I have not had a chance to visit yet as well. Um, I have not had a chance to get to the site yet. I'm working on that now. And um, with any luck, we'll be able to have some great content here, as well as for the YouTube channel. Um, i got to emphasize again, if you guys haven't checked out the YouTube channel yet, there's a lot of great content there, a lot of great interviews uh, with different activists um, that you know I talked to in the Occupy movement, lots of other good content as well, different zeitgeist, by, you know, Vita's project-oriented material, as well as other activism material. You can find a link to that at the website by going to the links section, uh, but my YouTube account for V Radio is basically vradio.org without the hyphen or minus spelled out. So v radio dot the word dot and org uh, to you know get to a lot of the great video content that I have uploaded there. Uh, v Radio is still checking out. I mean, looking for donations this month, and uh, I only had unfortunately one show other than all of this content. So far, so I understand the the situation with that. If people didn't feel compelled, uh, but last month I had like double the normal shows and a lot of great content from that, and there's more coming, obviously. And uh, I want to thank everybody for their support so far. And essentially, you know, as an indie journalist, I'm you know not even asking for very much for my time. So if you're enjoying the show and there are thousands of people downloading it, uh, it would be great if more people could contribute, even just a little bit. That's actually what would make me the most happy is if everybody contributed a small amount for like five bucks a month. It would be so easy for me to meet, you know, meet my goals. I'm not living high on the hog here. I'm just basically trying to get by and doing it through indie journalism means that I don't have to feel guilty at the end of the day for contributing to the problem of our society. So, um, but yeah, if you've enjoyed this coverage, you know, and you think it's worth like five bucks a month, then then donate. There's a way to set it up uh, through regular donations, kind of like a subscription on the front page. Otherwise, you can go to the donate page, and there's almost always a chip-in widget that you can use PayPal or a credit card or debit card uh, to contribute whatever you think V Radio is worth every month. So, um, I will be compiling lots of different interviews together in this particular segment of V Radio. So. Just uh, you know, sit back and listen, and um, you know we'll hopefully get a lot of different perspectives about different people in the Occupy movement. Thanks again. All right, introduce yourself. All right, I'm uh, David Oloroso from Chicago, Illinois. So Occupy Chicago. Yep. That's awesome. Well, you came all the way out here to Occupy the Midwest here in Detroit. Um, tell me, like, first of all, what was your trip like? Uh, my trip was a little. Bit less than I wanted to have. Um, I took the mega bus up here, mm-hmm. and the, for the first couple hours on the trip, the AC wasn't working. We had a lot of people packed into the bus, so it was like a sauna for the first couple hours. And then they got the AC to start working, and they figured, okay, these people are really hot, so let's blast it full power. 
Mm-hmm. So I went from really hot to really cold for the next like couple hours. <laughs> and then so so then finally on the last like two three hours we found a nice little happy medium that people could at least like try and rest in peace because uh, I was coming in on the midnight bus. Um, from Wednesday evening into Thursday morning, so I got in Detroit around 7.30 uh, Detroit time. Okay, well that's great. Now, um, first of all, we were discussing a little bit before we started this interview, you were thinking about the differences between Occupy Detroit and Occupy Chicago. So, you want to go ahead and uh, share some of that? Um, yeah, but it's more of just this kind of like weird dichotomy um, between Chicago and Detroit, where they have like on the surface, they're so dissimilar. Like they look completely different, not only to see themselves, but the structure of each of their organizations. Mm-hmm. But what's so similar about them is their evolution and kind of their development, how we all started from like basically just point zero in Occupy and kind of developed into something. Mm-hmm. And the way that that happened was very, very similar in my mind. So I'll give you a little like history with Chicago. Um, in Occupy Chicago, we actually never had an encampment. Um, I think we were the second occupation to pop up in the U.S., but we just went to the heart of the financial district at Jackson and LaSalle and hung out in front of the Federal Reserve Bank. Um, we had like, a small little temporary encampment, if you want to call that um, something. We had some sleeping bags like out on the sidewalk, but never any tents or any structures or right. anything like that. And so after a while, the police started harassing us for that, and we basically went from sleep on the ground to just having to stand on the sidewalk the whole day. Um, they got worse with the ordinances, forcing us to move our property. Otherwise, they would toss out food carts, buckets, um, supplies. And there's a couple times when we tried to actually hold an encampment. Each time led to mass arrests, um, resulting in more than 300 uh, total. Wow. So we've kind of, from the very get-go, we learned to be a mobile occupation. Whereas a lot of cities had to deal with logistics of holding a camp at just one location and figure out how to kind of build the community around that one spot, we kind of quickly decided that we had to kind of abandon that concept of just one location and branch out to different areas of the city, um, learn how to mobilize from from home at different like locations in the city, reach out to different organizations and start to kind of make our ways um, because the fact is that we can't just have one location. Sure. So we have to find ways to utilize the entire landscape of Chicago. So they kind of turned us into very, very strong organizers um, up to this point. And with Detroit, if you look at how their environment kind of led to their own development, it's very much the same way where they have a lot more opportunities to take action and to do a lot more direct actions within the communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of focusing more on the concept of Occupy as an organization, they were much more progressive in actually doing actions in the communities, doing house reclamation, um, as well as community outreach. Right. And so I come from pretty much the polar opposite in Chicago, where we're just getting um, into things like that, where we're taking our GA to different neighborhoods um, around the city. Sure. And here they are already like taking over like several houses at a time um, and converting them for the community. And it's exactly the type of thing that Chicago's going to want to get into. And just the fact that um, where the similarities kind of tie into one another is that we've kind of identified that there's a lacking within our own organization, and we had to kind of look to the future. What is it that we have to try to adapt to? We saw that we didn't have really a chance to have an encampment in Chicago. We have to learn to be more agile, more mobile, learn how to organize strongly. Here in Detroit, they saw, okay, well, we have a lot more 
work to do around the city, so we don't have to spend as much time on building the organization as a whole and figuring out our different processes, especially like with GA. Instead, let's just get to work. So they're much more ahead of the game um, when it comes to doing like direct actions, and like Chicago, I think is a lot more ahead of the game when it comes to organizing. Right. Well, that's awesome, though. I mean, it, even then, though, at least you guys still had a spirit. You know, 300 arrests, that's just amazing. I mean, <laughs> it's unfortunate that's really the way that these things work out. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, things like that and the sacrifices that people make, you know, really do get attention. Now, um, it's interesting because you said you, have, you had no camp. I've been noticing a, a, a problem that I've seen spruce up all over the world in different mm -hmm. occupies, like even in Sweden and France or whatever, there was always a problem with like people who camp versus people who don't camp, like mm -hmm. there's this distance. Now, I guess it, it's usually an internet problem, like there are people who, yeah, I support Occupy and I, I never show up to anything and I'm always on the internet. Mm -hmm. do, you, do, you, do you have people in Chicago that you would say, like, you know, maybe have a lot to say about what you should be doing differently that never participate? Yeah, I mean, the nature of Occupy is very tangible, it's very physical, mm -hmm. um, because you have a group of people that's out there you can see, you can interact with, you can touch, you can smell, and everything. So, because you have this very tangible sense of a movement, mm -hmm. then once that physicality kind of goes away, then it's like, okay, what are we left with? If we don't have that, then what are we left with? So that's why I think people want to really try and fight tooth and nail to hold an occupation as long as possible, even if it's just like five of them, and it's going to be involving multiple fines and multiple arrests, and that's where I think a lot of people were kind of getting disjointed within the movement. Let's move away from doing um, encampments, let's move away from doing like occupations, let's get more towards like planning and organizing, be like, no, 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 this is what Occupy is, it's our name, and I think it People have to kind of really take a step back every now and then, just not for the sake of, like, let's not be disjointed, but it's it's going to be happening down the road. There's always going to be times for reflection and analysis, and occupying public space is not something that's new. It's something that's actually been done several times in the past. And so, although the movement itself is called Occupy, occupying public space in an occupation is just a tactic. It's a tactic that's really no different um, than a black block, or it's no different than chalking. It's sure. just a tactic that can be effective in the right conditions um, if it's executed the proper way. So I think once people start to kind of realize that, okay, this is a way that we can get some attention um, and kind of bring some of these issues to the forefront, but at the same time, it's not going to be our one thing that we have to stand by. We can stand by our GA processes, how we can use direct democracy to amplify the voices of the people, um, as well as um, amplifying the voices of the community and showing like what they've been doing and teaming up with them. So it's not all about us, it's more about just the people themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so I think once people kind of got past that um, Occupy was more than just space itself, it's more about the ideals of Occupy and what it stands for, for people's voices to be heard and for us to be represented properly by those who are currently representing us. Whether or not we want to still have people represent us in the future, we have everyone just be on the same playing field, is still up for discussion. But the sure. fact is, we at least set a good precedent on how we want to operate. And so at least if we kind of try and stick to um, those principles that we had at the very beginning with forming general assemblies, mm -hmm. um, we can still continue this momentum going forward for the next year or two easily. That's really awesome. Now, I want you to share a moment with me like one moment in particular of something that happened out at Occupy Chicago that really sticks with your mind, like really makes you feel like you were part of something that's going to be part of history. Oh man, um, there's a lot of things that choose from the past year, 
Um, like more recently, everyone knows that we had the NATO uh, summit in Chicago. Had a yeah. lot of people come out, um, but that's really no different than what I feel like we're doing back in September and October. It was very loud, just hostile like, protest that was just aggressive and antagonistic towards what we are identifying as our enemy. Right. So it's just kind of us being like an angry fist, like shaking and like, you guys, you did this to us. So it's really no different than the kind of tone that was set up in September and October. Um, a little bit before then, we had this event called Chicago Spring on April 7th. And what that was set up as is our kind of coming out of hibernation because we thought we're not going to be able to face the Chicago winter. Um, we don't have an encampment. We don't have a place to go, really. We don't have a place to house people. So let's find a way that we can just kind of keep things on an even keel over the winter, keep everyone in touch, keep everything going. And then on April 7th was the date that we chose. We're going to come back out with the same energy, um, the same momentum that we had in the fall. And, of course, we all know how everything kind of went through the spring where everyone thought warm weather, okay, we're going to get back to what it was in right, the fall. Right, right. It never happened. Right. Um, but instead, what we actually ended up building was this awesome community event mm -hmm. where we got 2,000 people to come out with absolutely, like, no political agenda or any central message. It was purely a day for people um, from across Chicago to come out, have a good time, go to some teach-ins, um, do some, like, art fair type things, engage in one another, um, enjoy a little bit of entertainment, and just the fact that we could put something so simple on and draw so many people was kind of um, really amazing for me, but I think probably the probably the most like pinnacle mo uh, moment in Occupy Chicago for me was on day 8, um, roughly I think that was September 30th, um, we had just about a week ago only a dozen people hanging out on a street corner. And that night, we had 300 people out on uh, at Jackson LaSalle waiting for a critical mass, which is this massive bike ride that goes through the city, right. um, come through. And because the police were all caught up with uh, that bike ride that went through <laughs> the city, we had no police like, watching us. We're like, let's go for a march. And we went for a march. We marched um, through the streets for the first time. We took the streets for the first time. We marched across Michigan Avenue, took Michigan Avenue. Um, and then we marched through Millennium Park, danced under the bean, uh, took the Jay Pritzker uh, Pavilion stage, which is like massive, like super expensive uh, stage built in Millennium Park. And it was just amazing the fact that we went from the simplest like idea out on the street corner and just exploded like exponentially into this like mass like movement of 300 people from a dozen in a week. It was like just mind blowing like how people could just revolve around an idea. It wasn't what you thought or what I thought. It's we want this idea to exist in the future and the fact that people came out in that in hordes in a matter of a week was just absolutely astonishing to me. I have to say that it's one of the things I love the most about Occupy is that it unifies people from a lot of different backgrounds. I mean some of them like you're gonna run into socialists, you're gonna run into communists, you're gonna run into anarchists, you're gonna run into some free market libertarian types, you're gonna run into so many different people who at least agree on the common goal of that things need to change and we need to bring attention to the issues that need to change. And I, I think that's a beautiful aspect of this movement. Now, I kind of did this backwards. Something I usually do is I ask people, like, what was the precipice? What was the moment in your life that made you decide to become an activist? Um, let's see, when did this start? I mean, if you want to get really technical, you can deduce everything down back almost to birth at, mm -hmm. at some point. Um, everything kind of builds on it as we go uh, forward. 
Um, but I'd say if you want to get a little more specific, it would probably be when I was uh, in college. Like, oh, big surprise! It seems like <laughs> everyone's story is here. Um, but it wasn't that I did a lot of like my own like research and like my own like experimentation with activism in college. It was probably just the opposite. Um, I actually went to Arizona State uh, for three years studying industrial engineering. So at one one side, I wanted to just like have a study job that paid a lot of money, and right. I wanted to go to college and have fun. Uh, and whatnot, but it was the fact that I started to run out of money, had to come back home, um, was planning on transferring to Northern Illinois. I took the year off to save up a little money, and it was actually in that year off when I started to get bored. That's when I started to actually look into other things, um, just topics that naturally interested me, that um, started to plant the seed initially, and what started to actually <coughs> Um, give it some water, kind of give it a little bit of growth, was actually music and hip-hop music specifically. The socially conscious artists like Lupe Fiasco, Most Def, uh, XV, Talib Kweli, Immortal Technique, uh, people like that. Um, that so came, music uh, brought you to activism. Yeah, so it really was music, um, and more specifically, it was Lupe Fiasco's uh, third album, Lasers, mm-hmm. which stands for Love Always Shines Every Time Remember to Smile. And what, what along with that album was a 25-point manifesto, which a lot of those points um, are pretty much similar principles to what Occupy stands for. And out of me fighting for that album to be released because he was under like some two-year wait for it to come out and the record label was like no we will think we'll release it then no we'll push yeah. it back it's coming out soon actually no we have to push it back again it was just like typical artist label like bickering for the most part and the, the fans like really wanted this album for a long time and I actually helped set up a protest in Chicago to get the album out not so much because I liked his music but the idea behind it sure. that People should be creating their own futures. They shouldn't be standing around waiting for it to come to them. And it was built on principles of like peace and solidarity and uh, wisdom and knowledge, things like that. I really want to really get out into the world. I want to unleash those ideas out into the world for people to kind of share with. Um, and so from there, I um, met three people through the protest. We decided we were going to start our own nonprofit organization, kind of based on the same principles of that and kind of along the same lines of Occupy. Um, not so much the whole horizontal consensus-based model, um, but still the same ideals for the most sure. part. And um, I actually went to Occupy Chicago on the first day, thinking I'm going to go talk to some of these activists and try and recruit them for my nonprofit organization. But the longer I uh, hung out at Occupy Chicago, the bigger withdrawal it was for me, and I just got sucked in. I just couldn't leave um, after a while. I mean, it was what I kind of decided I got to be doing this. I don't know how long I'm going to be doing it, but I have to do it. It's really my responsibility to take up um, this opportunity and use it as best as my ability can. That's it's definitely something you can't turn off after you've turned it on. You can't mm-hmm. look at the world the same ever again. Yeah. So, you know, this has been awesome, and thank you for representing Occupy Chicago Glad here and um, Occupy the Midwest. And um, I'll make sure that this video is available to Occupy Chicago. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks again for being on V Radio. Yeah, thank you. All right, introduce yourself. My name is uh, Tristan, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, Taylor, T-A-Y-L-R. I'm with the Coalition to Defend Affirmative Action, Integration, Immigrant Rights, and Fight for Equality by Any Means Necessary, also known as BAM. Excellent. Well, um, first of all, let's get started on how you became an activist. What was the precipice moment for you that made you go in from just a regular kid playing video games to, you know, really becoming somebody who's trying to make the world better? I'll give you the short version. 
Okay. The short version is I was a person who was always uh, interested in reading, um, who went to school um, in the suburbs of mm-hmm. Michigan, uh, of suburbs of Detroit, uh, moved back to Detroit, and, you know, saw and experienced firsthand, like, segregation and inequality that it bred. Um, when I was 16, you know, followed the uh, 2000 presidential elections really closely and was hugely disappointed with Al Gore's inability to defend the black voters of Florida from being disenfranchised. Um, and uh, it was around that time that I began looking for an alternative. Um, was a person who was very interested in going to college and just having a future because right. I thought I should have one. Um, mm-hmm. And so the issue of affirmative action was uh, really important to me um, and got involved uh, in BAM in defending affirmative action when I was 17 as part of me looking for something outside of the Democratic Party or the traditional channels of, like, you know, protests and whatever. <laughs> I certainly feel you there. It's definitely, you know, the the mainstream politicians and the whole political system is so screwed up. It's pretty clear that it's designed to keep things the same. It's not really designed to change anything. So now, um, so I guess basically what you're saying is kind of the precipice that kind of moved you into wanting to change the world is just the, the... situations around you trying to get your education? In part of that, absolutely. And it was just, you know, knowing that I had a future or should have a future, um, Mm -hmm. but, you know, recognizing the obstacles against that um, Mm -hmm. and around that um, and just wanting to make a serious fight, not only for myself, but, you know, for, like, my community. I actually went to school uh, at McKenzie High School, you know, not too far from the location that we're at. Um, and so, you know, I've seen, you know, the best and the brightest, you know, of students, you know, mm-hmm. talent squandered by the lack of resources that we had. And it always bothered me. Um, and so the opportunity uh, to, you know, build a real movement that can change all of that was something that, especially after the disappointment in the Democrats and Al Gore, I, like, searched for and looked for. Like, my first action was actually, you know, getting a busload of students from my high school to Ann Arbor as part of, like, the first national conference uh, that BAM held uh, in 2001. That's awesome. Was that, like, would you say that was a life-changing experience to get that accomplished? Absolutely. That's awesome. Now, um, with uh, recent events, actually, it occurred to me when you talked about your position, what do you think of this, uh, like, that congressman or, you know, maybe he's a state senator who made that comment, you know, you know, we've gotten the voter ID thing through. This will allow Romney to get elected, you know, done or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. Are you familiar with that? The whole no. voter ID thing that yeah, they I'm think they're targeting minorities? The voter ID. Um, mm-hmm. I, we're just seeing uh, what I would describe as, like, you know, the policies of the new Jim Crow. And it's not just about, like, voting rights. I mean, in terms of voter ID. In Michigan, you know, major majority black cities don't even have the democratic right to vote for their own school board. You know, in Detroit, we have a city council that's essentially, you know, mute because all decisions are made through appointed councils from the state. Because of that fascist Governor Snyder stuff that is not getting enough attention. Sure. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, that's capitalism at its best. It's like democracy when it can afford it, uh, and when it can't and think it's a problem, it takes it away. And right. so we're seeing, you know, and experiencing a lack of democracy everywhere. And, sure. you know, it's not just the Republicans that are, you know, putting forward that grand old perspective of democracy being this outworn <laughs> out, you right, right. thing. Because, you know, it was Granholm, that lovable liberal, you know, that first <laughs> installed 
uh, the emergency managers for Detroit Public Schools and for the city of Pontiac and other places. Wow, I didn't know that. So, uh, you know, the, the, the idea and notion uh, that we are experiencing uh, attacks on democracy, you know, um, is, um, you know, um, uh, there's a moment in history that we can draw a parallel, and that mm -hmm. is the Jim Crow South, because we are seeing, you know, policies like mm. that being instituted in the United States, especially towards like immigrant communities as well. Wow. Well, you know, now that Occupy Detroit, you know, has started, have you noticed anything since obviously you were an activist before Occupy? Um, what would you say that Occupy Detroit and just the Occupy movement in general has done to change the paradigm for activism? I think what Occupy Detroit created was an opportunity uh, for people who were uh, not um, drawn in to the official excuses of inequality mm -hmm. and uh, and oppression, um, who wanted to show their solidarity with the oppressed and also recognizing the truth and wanting to stand on the truth. You know, mm -hmm. Occupy Detroit created an opportunity where, like, you know, people outside of Detroit were prepared to build a movement along with Detroiters, you know, mm -hmm. to not only stop the attack on Detroit, but because they knew Detroit was the future for the state, making sure that they were in so fighting for Detroit, fighting to make sure the rest of the state and the nation was moving forward towards progress as well. Now does BAM have chapters in other states too? Is that like a world is that a nationwide? Yeah, worldwide? it's a national organization. Our, organization. our main strongest chapters in Michigan and California. Mm -hmm. We're definitely looking to uh expand as much as we possibly can. We've done work uh, you know, in Missouri and Chicago and Texas, you know, and uh, you know, we're just looking for more opportunities to be a national organization because we know the importance of not only just dealing with these issues like locally and statewide, but you know, these attacks that we're experiencing in Michigan is part of a national policy. Absolutely. Now, if someone wants to learn more, where should they go? Oh, they can go to www.bamn.com. Um, on that website, everything about us is there. You want to know about BAM? There's a ton of shit on there about our victories, our struggles, mm -hmm. uh, our perspectives of how to move things forward. Even, you know, like, obviously how to get in touch with us. If you're interested in joining BAM, want to find out more information, you know, there's even a phone number that you can call on there. Well, thanks again for being on, man. Um, you know, if you could say one thing right now to 300,000 people all around the world who listen to this radio show, what would you say? Um, well, look at the BAM, join BAM. And uh, because we can build a movement that puts the oppressed in power. I'm really confident in that. But that means, you know, telling the truth about racism, understanding the necessity of organizing young people, having young people in the lead, you know, um, and uh, believing that the oppressed have power. Um, you know, I'm optimistic about the future, sure. uh, but on the basis that uh, there's a real perspective that can allow the majority of society to move and build struggle in their own name. That's excellent, and thanks for doing the work that you're doing. It's definitely inspiring to the people of the world. Thanks for being on V Radio. All right, thanks. Cool. All right, um, go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Night Shift, and I'm from Austin, Texas, traveling with the Bicycle Superheroes. I was going to ask about that, actually. I've seen some capes on some of the people out here. So that's the Bicycle Superheroes. What's that about? Mm -hmm. uh, it is a yearly, month-long ride that we do. Sometimes it happens twice a year. There have been rides across the United States. There have been rides in Thailand and England. Um, 
basically about once a year, sometimes twice a year, a superhero calls a ride, gathers people up in a particular state, and for a month we travel around by bicycle doing community service projects wherever we are called to do so. All right, excellent. Now, first of all, let's let's talk a little bit about you. Um, what was the precipice moment for you? What was the moment that changed you from being someone who was just part of the world to someone who is active, you know, being active in trying to make it better? I would say there wasn't a single moment where I wanted to be an activist. It was more a sense of, of living and doing a little bit of activism or volunteer work or whatever you want to call it and seeing, feeling like that was more of a fulfilling and more valuable and more useful way of spending my time as opposed to the other things I was doing to the point that doing anything else for long periods of time didn't make as much sense, <laughs> I guess. Sure. I can't say there is one moment. I mean, there is definitely a moment where my husband and I were like, yes, let's just do the ride, which has been a full-time thing, but uh, overall, activism has just sort of snuck its way in. Now you said you, you did you have some small involvement with Occupy Austin at one point? Mhm. Mm I was there for the first day of Occupy Austin and mm -hmm. I hung up hung out off and on, cooked a lot of food. We lived just a couple of blocks from it. Um so we got to experience that. Well, excellent. Now, can you describe your experience? What was it like? I thought it was really beautiful. Um there was in Austin, there was a lot of um, organizations, and it was a, a big networking deal for um, Monkey Wrench Books and Yellow Bike Project, and Austin Free School was doing teaching. So mm -hmm. it was definitely had a sense of a coming together for all the organizations and activist organizations that already existed coming together and supporting each other, and I thought that was really awesome. I wasn't involved heavily in the organizing of it, though, right. um, so I don't know what happened exactly with the behind the scenes or how how easy it was for those guys. I'm sure it was right. really challenging. Now, um, this okay, the the superhero thing you guys are doing. Can you describe, like, I guess what that's like for you? A, you okay, so you're cycling around. I mean, I've got you know, there's an awful lot of bicycles here. A lot of tents, obviously, and um, mm -hmm. let's see your cape, if you could uh, oh, yes. see, like, that's right, cape. as you can see, superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, I guess, what describe a little bit about, like, say, what the average activist activities of your organization is like. We started off on a farm, and um, we've been to two farms, one... Um, renewable building studio, sort of education center. Mm -hmm. um, and those were all locations that we were sort of um, called to. We knew a little bit in advance about. We definitely headed towards, there was, the studio was in Oxford, Michigan. Um, the farms were Three Roots Farm in Columbiaville and mm -hmm. one really nearby. Um, but what we typically do, and what we've done more than that, is actually we'll ride into a town not knowing anyone and not having any plans. We did that with Lapeer, Michigan, and Pontiac, Michigan, where we just looked at the map and said, well, that's on the way to Detroit, which we knew would be a destination. <laughs> let's, let's stop there to spend the night. And typically what we do is we ride into town and we send out scout groups to ask about service projects and campsites. 
which is a great combination of things because basically we approach this town and say we need help and we want to help you right and that's caused beautiful interactions it's been really amazing we have definitely been helped <laughs> equally that's <laughs> to, really to the help cool. we've done and in pontiac i grew up in pontiac actually oh yeah, yeah it's it's little. I generally kind of call it. Um, pardon my mild profanity, but Pontiac is like uh, Detroit's pissed off little brother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it felt like growing up there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's good to see like some. I mean, just be, just kind of a uh, an indulgence on my part. Tell me about your experience in Pontiac. In Pontiac, we helped with the Boys and Girls Club. We got oh, to go. Yeah. There are some great Boys and Girls Clubs there. I'm uh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, totally. They were they were mm -hmm. awesome, and the the adult volunteers or employees or whoever they were amazing. They just let us come in and start playing with the kids and painting faces. One of our members started up a a bike workshop to show the kids how to put together and take apart bikes and do basic bike maintenance. Wow. That was wonderful through that, and on the way through that, we ended up getting hooked up with a, I guess it was a ment mental health community center, and mm -hmm. we went and um, and sang songs there and hung out with the people there who, when we showed up, and you can imagine our silly outfits and capes, they were like, we fit right in, and they were really happy to have us. Um, I think that might have been where we also just went into a church and said, can we do anything? And they sent us over to the house of some people who um, needed furniture moved from an upstairs bedroom to a downstairs bedroom because uh, because the, the father or the husband of the house had, um, had been in surgery and could no longer go up the stairs. So we do that sort of, you know, just any little things. We've weeded gardens for 15 minutes. We've moved furniture, but we've also played with kids for hours. That's really great. Now, yeah. if you could uh, pick a memory, something that really is life-changing for you that came about through activism, you know, share it with the audience. The coming into Detroit was life-changing. I'm like, like I said, I'm from Austin, Texas, and there's still a boom down there. Mm -hmm. um, we're doing great in Austin. People complain still, but just comparably, I can't believe the devastation that's hit Detroit. It's completely incomprehensible. And I don't watch a lot of television or right. even go on, read a lot of news, but um, I don't know how much pe other people know about what's going on here. The flip side of that is coming into Detroit, as we did, and there's 22 of us, so you can see a couple of bikes and a couple of tents here, but you can just imagine 22 people, again, in silly outfits, People stopped what they were doing to wave and smile. They were shouting, we love you. They didn't know who we were. Mm -hmm. We came into this community with those firebombed houses down the street. Yeah, you can't really, I mean, you can see that. this one's completely burned out. Um, maybe five of these houses are actually occupied by an owner right now, which uh, you should interview Jason if you haven't already about what try. he's doing. Yeah, um, for sure. To, to understand why we're in the, uh, he's in this particular neighborhood and we came here because of, we heard of what he was doing down at Occupy. Um, but, so coming in here and offering service, we were, we have been so beautifully welcomed and served by the people in this community, in this neighborhood. They're so welcoming and loving and friendly and inviting and open-minded and intelligent and uh, that's really life-changing for me as someone who came from Austin where everything is so prosperous and there's sort of a, 
walls up at the same time. Right. They come somewhere that's so devastated, but people, obviously they still crime. I'm not trying to say this is some sort of weird utopia or anything, but it's not at all what we were expecting, what I was expecting or many people on the ride were expecting. There are a lot of parts of Detroit that are literally used as post-apocalyptic film sets mm -hmm. for, you know, for zombie films and different things like that. They're actually talking about making a, a zombie apocalypse theme park using portions of Detroit. Mm -hmm. it, lit it literally looks like it's just been destroyed. Like, mm -hmm. it reminds me sometimes, I mean, obviously you don't have as much, like, just stuff laying around everywhere, but, like, it literally reminds me sometimes of like those World War II films where you're looking at what England looked like when it was bombed with E2 rockets or something. Mm -hmm. It's just, it, you're like, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because there are so many people that don't get it. Mm -hmm. Like they've never been out here. They don't know what it's like. I mean, especially when you try to live out here, like if you're trying to find a job, you know, it, I, it's just, it's so hard because mm -hmm. there's just nothing. And that's why I got to say it's, it's it's actually it really hits home you know with me and touches me that you came all the way from a place like that and that coming here and seeing this for yourself really changed the way you look at things and that's mm -hmm. awesome. So, um, well, if anybody wants to learn more about the you know your superhero movement, where would they go? Um, we don't have a website. We're kind of uh, based. Our headquarters is the Possibility Alliance, which mm -hmm. is located in Missouri. Okay. If you do some online research, you might be able to find the phone number for the Possibility Alliance. Okay. And if you give them a call, they could probably um, point you in the right direction. But ultimately, we're word of mouth. Um, so look up. I like. I don't even know the phone number. <laughs> I sort of stumbled into it on accident. That's okay. That's okay. Um, well, yeah. I guess you know. Start a Facebook group. They're free and they're easy, and a lot of people mm -hmm. use Facebook. But. Um, you know, for sure. Thank you very much for being on today, and thank you for being part of E-Radio. All right. Thank you. All right. Hi. Introduce yourself. Hello. My name is Davis Limbach, and I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and uh, I've been on this trip for the last year called the Hoop Tour, and recently joined the Superhero Bike Ride, where I'm being interviewed today. Awesome. Now, when you said the Hoop Tour, I noticed that you brought your hoop. Yeah. So, so tell me about the hoop. Well, this hoop I was given in uh, in Cumberland, Maine, mm -hmm. north, north of Portland, Maine, um, by some folks who I stayed with uh, spontaneously. It's been something I've done a lot on this trip is I meet people in the places I go and uh, and often make wonderful new friends. And um, I uh, I accepted the hoop because um, I felt like I wanted to start practicing um, and as I've met a bunch of hula hoopers on on my travels through uh, telling them that I'm on this hoop tour um, which actually isn't about hula hoops but uh, but relates to them well what's I've, it about I've seen I've seen that I want to I want to get to know the hoop <laughs> um, the hoop tour is about um, about participating in positive change um, by participating um, in what I call the economy of generosity and that's putting myself in positions where I need other people's help um, such as couch surfing, uh, hitchhiking, um, looking for opportunities uh, on farms to help out and wherever I go I offer what I'm able to give which is my labor, my my friendly companionship, um, you know just uh, 
trying to be a positive presence in people's lives um, where there's an opening. Well, that's awesome. Now, how long have you been doing this? Um, I left Washington State uh, last August, mm-hmm. and so it's just over a year now. And the superhero bike ride is very much like a culmination of this effort. And it's I'm with a group of 21 or so people who are all also on that mission to spontaneously go out into the world and see where we can help others and uh, and uh, also be be helped by others. That's awesome. Now, what point of your life, you know, that precipice we were talking about off camera, you know, what was the the thing that changed you as a person, or were you always kind of lined up to be an activist? I mean, was there any one moment you can think of that made you change? I remember being raised in a family where where the human soul was very valued, and uh, and as I went through school. Um, I had some experience with the public schools and, and the, I guess, very conventional uh, education in the society that that we were living in. And and as I came into high school, and I started started to feel more discomfort with going down that mm-hmm. that path of uh, I guess of uh, of conformity and um, participating in in this militaristic corporate system um, I I was influenced by a lot of my friends in high school who were were taking steps before I before I ever had the courage to um, they were taking steps in direct action and um, making lifestyle choices around their diets that, uh, you know people who are um, radical vegans and sure. um, also straight edge and you know I was I was inspired by some of these people to start thinking about these things myself and and I uh, I began to notice there was a lot more at stake than than just uh, you know try to be a good person and, and well that's great no, I mean it's good that you know I guess basically you kind of had some role models that, that helped you along yeah. now um so you've been doing this, I guess, I think, what was it, like, for over a year you've mm-hmm. been doing this? Mm-hmm. Now, I guess, let's first of all, let's talk about, like, something that you would share with the audience. Like, if you could think of a memory, you know, one moment in particular throughout your activism that you know, really changed you or uh, has stayed with you, you know, I mean, we people always talk about having emotional scars, but... You know, I guess supposed to be a matter of like, what was an emotional piece of beauty that is now kind of etched under your soul due to the things you've been doing? Well, there's there are memories I have with um, with some direct action, uh, some of my strongest from the WTO protests in mm-hmm. Seattle in 1999, um, where I was at one point. Uh, in a line of people um, making a chain to hold back um, the delegates who were coming <laughs> to a meeting, you know, and, and I actually, you know, was in that chain for a moment and felt like um, I was part of a part of very, a very impassioned action. Um, and then there's the other kind of activism which I've come into more recently in my life, which involves connecting with individuals on a one-on-one level 
and sharing an experience of um, of kindness, of just of of general like uh, deep human kindness, um, and hitchhiking with my bike and and uh, having spontaneous um, connections and feeling like like instant friends and like we've acknowledged each other's humanity to me is uh, some of the most profound work that I've felt like I've done. Um, right. Uh, people experience, people have given me feedback telling me they felt like there was hope for humanity through what I'm doing and, and the way that they were able to help me in, yeah. in, in my mission of, of traveling around the country and spreading that's a positive that's a, change. That's definitely a powerful thing. It's definitely a life-changing thing. I mean, I through my radio show, like I got an email once from someone in Mongolia. Mm-hmm. It was like, "Hey, thank you so much for your radio show." And you know, it was pretty clear that English wasn't their first language, at least from the way they were typing. But they were talking about, you know, you know, you changed my perspective on so many things. You know, it's just it is a powerful thing when you know that you have changed someone else's experience of life. Mm-hmm. Now, where are you guys going next? Um, we're gonna we're gonna spend a night at a, a friend of ours here in Detroit on the east side, mm-hmm. um, and then we uh, we have some idea that we want to head towards the lake. Um, mm-hmm. There's some idea that we want to cross the state of Michigan and um, and try to reach the lake at some point. So that's the only thing. There's a there's also possibility of going. Through Ann Arbor, you know, another big destination in Michigan. Um, but yeah, so far not a lot of uh, not a lot of ideas for specific locations coming up. We just kind of spontaneously uh, pay attention to what comes up and on the horizon. And well, that's great. If you guys end up going that. through Ann Arbor, I guess we'll have to try to find a way to exchange contact information because I live about 20 minutes away from Ann Arbor. It'd be right. great to talk to you guys again. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much for for taking some time to do this. And um, you know, I guess uh, you know, if you could share something with 300,000 people all around the world listening to this broadcast, what would you say to them? I'd say uh, humanity is evolving, evolving into a new way of being. There's a shift happening right now, and that's what I came out around the U.S. to say this year. Um, and I've seen it with my own eyes and feel it in my own heart mm-hmm. so if you feel it too just keep doing the work to to help it happen <laughs> that's awesome you know i can tell just by looking at you you've been smiling through this whole thing you're very excited to be part of this evolution yes <laughs> yeah, and that's that's great um one more question if you could think on yourself before all of this before you know who you were before what would you say is the deepest contrast about who you were before to who you are in this very moment. Hmm. Uh, I was I was very di- addicted to a lot of things um, like video games and television, sugar, and um, I even was a cigarette smoker for about ten years. Mm-hmm. And now I'm free of all those addictions and. The only one that still remains a little bit is, uh, you know, being attracted to sweets and trying to <laughs> let go of that last little bit so I can, and also caffeine. You know. Right. But, but I'm, yeah, I'm much more, much more free of my addictions and um, have a 
a clarity and and freedom of movement that I, I feel is really helpful in the work I'm doing these days. So it makes room for better addictions like being addicted to helping people and right. making people smile and you know. But all right. Yeah. Excellent. Thank yeah. you for sharing. You're welcome. Hi, introduce yourself. Um, and look at me. There you go. <laughs> I'm Mikhail Shapani. I've been at Occupy Harrisburg for the past month. I went there from the National Gathering. I would have started doing the Occupy stuff sooner, but I was on probation for like a whole year until then. Mm -hmm. So I just came as soon as I could. So what made you decide to get involved? Um, well, when I was like 12, the whole Patriot Act thing mm -hmm. was like what first got me into political type stuff. And like started watching what was going on with political affairs and the government and world politics and all that. And it was like a slow development, kind of. I mean, I went through a conspiracy theory stage. Um, Better to go through a conspiracy theory stage than to go through a sheep stage for the rest of your life. I mean, yeah, <laughs> very true. Not everything those people say is crazy, but yeah, it's yeah. You gotta still learn how to filter things. Yeah, but yeah, for sure. Now, um, if you could think of a memory of your involvement in Occupy so far that you would want to share with other people, like who might be interested in joining the Occupy movement, what would you share? Um, so far, since I've only been doing this a month, um, there's two things actually. There's this girl in uh, the Occupy National Gathering thing. I think it's kind of a misconception of Occupy is that it's a leaderless movement, when really, in a way, it's more of a movement of leaders. That's what she said. Well said. And that, I mean, like when I tell people that, it actually helps them because a lot of people think that you have to go out there and like just get people to come to the GAs, but also you got to get people organized. It doesn't really matter if they're calling themselves Occupy. Yeah. I mean. The main thing is we're organizing to organize people. Right. <laughs> That's a really good thing. Yeah. And that was one of the things that, like, kind of stuck out. And the other thing is coming to actually Occupy Detroit. Mm -hmm. Because what you guys, like, I've only been doing it a month. Too much of, it's not too much of this kind of thing going on in Harrisburg currently. Right. And it's beautiful. I could put it. I mean, a lot of it's stuff that I've, like... I don't know. I want to bring it back to Harrisburg. <laughs> we'll do get it. Get going. That sounds great, man. You know, um, so I guess uh, if you could think of one element that you'd want to bring back with you to Harrisburg, what would it be? There seems to be a lot more integration of the different groups, like the anarchists and the um, the anarchists, the, the communists, the socialists, yeah, like the they, greens. They get along much better here than in Harrisburg. Like in Harrisburg, a lot of the anarchists got pushed out and they're doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. They're still doing food, not bombs, or anything, but they're separate. Sure. And like, none of them really go to the GAs or anything anymore or do much of that. And it's really weakened Occupy Harrisburg a lot. Like, Occupy Harrisburg at one time, from what they tell me, had like a hundred or so people and slowly people just got pushed out because of mainly silly ideological arguments mm -hmm. that really don't matter because we still, like, uh, it's like, the friend of my, I mean, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, they kind of lost that. Yeah, I agree. But it, yeah, a little before I left, it did seem to be uh, repairing itself. Like, 
one of the main people that were pushing people out kind of got dealt with. That's good. So, yeah. <laughs> well, um, if you could say one thing to 300,000 people listening, what would it be? Unity or slavery. Excellent, excellent. Thanks, man. You did great. Go ahead and hit stop. Alright, hello, introduce yourself. Uh, hi, my name is Chris Wilmhoff. Uh, I'm from Occupy Kalamazoo in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Excellent. Well, um, is this your first, like, inner Occupy event? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, uh, I've been to, man, probably more than ten as far as inner Occupy events by now. Okay. Excellent. Um, well, first of all, uh, what made you decide to become an activist? What was that precipice moment that changed your life to make you want to make the world better? Um, precipice moment for me. Um, I am a social worker, uh, state work. I do have a degree. Um, I was working for a company from 2008 to uh, 2011 uh, for social work. I was working up to 80 hours a week, uh, and I did so happily. I enjoyed doing it for this company. Um, I also had uh, stomach surgery. I used to weigh 460 pounds. Um, I got the stomach surgery, lost 260 pounds. Um, however, when I did that, I didn't understand how to diet for myself properly. Uh, in November of 2010, I uh, passed out at work. I woke up on the floor working over a third shift and told these employers uh, that I was doing this as a state-funded uh, place. Um, even with that work and even though in October I was being starting training to be promoted, um, they wrote it up as me sleeping on shift even though I told them I woke up on the floor um, and then wrote me up and then scheduled me for 70 more hours. Um, I didn't actually get a chance to go to the hospital until they actually uh, fired me, <laughs> which mm -hmm. was on the week of Christmas. Um, that very thoroughly radicalized me. Uh, and then September happened, Octo uh, Occupy, of course, came about, and uh, our first uh, our, our first meeting in Kalamazoo was the first week of October, and I've been going 110 miles an hour for Occupy ever since. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> what are things like in Occupy Kalamazoo? Uh, well, Occupy Kalamazoo is a smaller Occupy. We probably have 10 to 20 people at our GAs. Uh, of course, there's a flux with that from week to week. Um, Kalamazoo is currently rated, and in 2009 was deemed the sixth meanest city in the U.S., the homeless. Uh, so that's one of our big highlight issues, uh, because even that was in 2009, they were given that title, and they actually have systematically gotten worse instead of better. They've never really made any proactive steps to fix that. Um, so that's a big focus of Kalamazoo. Uh, the other thing that we focus on greatly is that in the Kalamazoo River, we had the Enbridge oil spill. That was the largest inland oil spill in U.S. history. Uh, when we had that oil spill, um, Enbridge didn't take care of it properly. Uh, and there are many instances, many many videos that will show you. Uh, in some cases, they literally just threw sod on top of the tar sand oil instead of cleaning it up. So we have that, and then we have gas racking. So those three keep us pretty busy. <laughs> have you guys uh, seen any of the uh, consequences of fracking? Uh, we have not seen any of the consequences uh, ourselves for fracking yet in the Kalamazoo area. I know there are active brines and sites up in Kalkaska and five other counties in northern Michigan. Um, we are very proactive in trying to stop the mineral rights auctions as they try to get rid of all of our public lands. Um, 
Wow. Yeah, that's, you know, fracking is freaking evil. That's why I remember bringing that up at that meeting. And it's, it's one of those things that because there's a lot of science to it and you're trying to explain it to someone, they don't get it. I literally usually, I'm like, you, you got to spit it out like, do you want gasoline in your water? You know, like, because it's the only way they're going to get it. Sometimes, you know, it's just like, no, no, this is an important problem. This is not a normal ecological problem. This is a real problem, you know. And so now that, you know, I mean, I know Kalamazoo sometimes makes it to the, the, the Occupy Together groups and the, 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 the meetings of the tribes or whatever. Like, when I was in Occupy Lansing for the one big inter-Occupy thing, we had some people from Kalamazoo there, and that was pretty awesome. Um, and uh, to anybody viewing or listening to this now, you can check out some of my interviews from that on the website, or on there, there's also some of them that are on the YouTube channel that this video will be uploaded to. So um, now I want you to share with me a memory, one like life-changing or like just like a moment for you as an activist where you thought, wow, we did something great. This is, I'm going to take a personal one, and I don't want this to reflect that I'm a great a great individual or something like that. It's just the first moment that pops in my head when you say that. Um, and relevant to the gas fracking. <clears throat> on May 8th, uh, we did have one of the mineral rights auctions that was for 435,000 acres of, uh, uh, of land. Um, we had disruptors trying in several different ways uh, to kind of gut wrench the auction. Even though it was a public auction, they weren't letting public people in to vote on the mineral rights. Um, I actually, myself, I was in the hallway. I was one of the people closest to the room witnessing the auction happening. Uh, we had uh, spoke about some of the mineral rights and some of the lots that were up, and um, I was very tired, but I remembered that there was a lot 77 that was important, that it was a, a big, valuable uh, piece of lot, and that was one of the ones to watch out for. So we get to this point a little bit into the auction lot 77 comes up uh people some people had tried to disrupt and some people had tried to just honestly bid the money to keep the property near their land so that it'd be safe from fracking uh, and they just got overbid by these corporate people um so it went to lot 77 and i kind of did a gut check to myself saying are you an activist or are you really doing this or are you talk are you really trying this or is it bullshit so um i decided that I had to try and do something about it, so I actually took my arm, reached it through the doorway, and started signaling my bidder card. Um, there was actually a DNR official right in front of me um, that was supposed to be stopping it, but I got my arm through. Um, they picked it up and let me start bidding, uh, and I just started outbidding, 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 and I won lot 77 for $56,000. It was 160 acres. Um, I completely and very, I, I did that as a civil disobedience because gas fracking is ridiculous, it's wrong, it's wrong that the DNR lied to us that morning about us being able to participate in a public auction. Um, it's wrong that they're doing it in the first place and that Halliburton law protects gas fracking from all these exemptions saying that it's environmentally safe when the truth is all they did is just make sure that they couldn't do the paperwork for it. Um, 2005 Energy Policy Act reference it, look it up, that'll validate what I'm saying. Um, so that was, that was about it, that, that's a big moment, that's kind of changed my whole life that day. <laughs> that's awesome, you know, you got to do that thing and, you know, you got to really participate and obviously you probably brought some seriously negative attention to the, <laughs> to the problem by doing that, you know, and then, um, so now, uh, where do you see, like, the movement going next? I mean, like, if you could choose where it would evolve to or... 
Like, if there was one thing you could change about the movement right now, what would it be? Well, um, as we're shooting this, we're winding up the Occupy the Midwest in Detroit, and delightfully, very delightfully, uh, one of the biggest focus and one of the biggest themes about the conversation of where Occupy goes from here is about not focusing so much on a program uh, on the problem, but proactive steps on how to stop it. Um, people are talking about urban gardening, uh, connection, uh, how to face racism, uh, looking at steps not just to say, hey, there's a problem, but more importantly, this is the problem, this is how we fix it. We're, we're, try we're focusing on providing answers as well as the problems. Uh, it's one thing to highlight the problem, but if you don't have an answer, there's really nowhere for the conversation to go. And I feel like Occupy is taking a large step in making sure that we have answers to these problems instead of just saying, hey, what are we going to do? And that's very, it's been very inspiring. Well, that's awesome. Now, if you could say something to the 300,000 listeners of this radio show right now, what would it be? <laughs> um, you make the choice to change the world. Um, there is nobody that's going to change this world for it. It doesn't matter if you're left, right, Muslim, Jew, Christian, if, whether you're black, whether you're white, it, the, the emphasis is that if you want to see change in the world, it starts with you. It starts right here in your heart. You have to look in the mirror and you have to say, I want to be the change I see in the world, as Gandhi so eloquently put it. That's, that's a life lesson and that's a life motto. Thanks, man. Thanks for being on V-Radio. All right. <laughs> well, that was all the interviews I was able to get. Uh, some of them are on video but are not on audio, so be sure to check out my um, YouTube channel, vradio.org, V with no hyphen for the YouTube channel, the word radio, the word dot, and the word org, if org is a word. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, be sure to check out the archives uh, you know, for more shows like this one. I actually have a lot of pre-recorded shows that many of you probably don't even know about uh, from different things that I did while I was out in the field, the different Occupy events. So be sure to check the archives for those. And um, once again, you know, please consider a donation this month. I'm going to be working on a show next with Summer about the complexities of relationships, talking about the values involved with relationships. So um, once again, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in.